We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app depending upon which opinion poll you read and there have been several the race for chicago mayor is looking like a dead heat among a small handful of candidates and a runoff is all but guaranteed this week, we're going to hear from one of the apparent frontrunners, Congressman Jesus Chuy Garcia. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Jesus Garcia has had a number of prominent stops on his way to this bid to be Chicago's mayor. He was elected to the Chicago City Council in 1986, part of a group of reformers that gave then-Mayor Harold Washington the majority he needed on the council. In 1992, he became the first Mexican-American elected to the Illinois State Senate. And I was WBBM's legislative correspondent back then and remember interviewing him on his first day on the Senate floor. Uh, He later ran for Cook County Commissioner. That was in 2009, and he won. And he went to Congress a decade later. He later ran for mayor, famously forcing Rahm Emanuel into a runoff for his second term. And now he is running for mayor again in a crowded race to unseat incumbent Lori Lightfoot. Well, we're going to talk about the issues in this race and Congressman Garcia's plans during this half hour, and we're doing it via Zoom conferencing. Congressman Jesus Garcia, welcome back to the program. Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, Great to join you, Craig. Uh, Always a pleasure. Well, likewise. Well, let's talk about where this race is just over two weeks out from Election Day. There have been several polls reported in the past couple of months, some of them by campaigns, some independent with varying track records. But let's talk about the one this week from the Chicago Sun-Times, WBEZ Public Radio and NBC5 Telemundo, all respected outlets. And it shows a three-way statistical tie among you, Paul Vallis and Lori Lightfoot, uh, with you holding a slight lead. Uh, What does that tell you about how this race is evolving? Uh, voters are paying attention. I think the variety of polls that have been uh, published uh, are showing a movement. That means uh, voters are thinking about it, thinking about the issues and thinking about the positions uh, of candidates. This race will be decided uh, in the next uh, two weeks, and uh, it's going to come down to uh, quite a finish, I think. Indeed, but um, by some of the measures, Um, Paul Vallis has seemed to be gaining uh, from back in the field. Um, uh, How much of a concern is that to you? And does that say anything about how this race is going? 
Well, you know, a good poll came out uh, this week that has us in first. And if you look at what our team is doing, we're rolling out some great endorsements. Uh, today, for example, uh, we rolled out the endorsement of Congressman Mike Quigley yesterday, uh, former Governor uh, Pat Quinn, uh, Congresswoman Jan Schakowsky, and Representative Robin Gable. Um, but I feel pretty confident that we will be in a runoff. Uh, obviously, uh, Vallis uh, seems to be doing well. Uh, but he has not received a whole lot of uh, scrutiny. I think now that uh, he registers uh, as a uh, front runner uh, in the polls means that there will be added scrutiny. And we've begun to see that, uh, for example, uh, in yesterday's uh, breaking story about uh, him getting a, um, a homeowner exemption in a Palos uh, home where he apparently uh, lives uh, or has claimed uh, that homeowner exemption so it's going to get interesting. There's a focus on, uh, you know, his positions uh, in education and uh, his performance, whether it was Chicago, uh, Philadelphia, New Orleans, or other places as well. So there's added scrutiny. Being a front runner uh, subjects you to a line of fire. Uh, I've been the target of that for the past uh, month uh, plus with a lot of paid TV seeking to portray me in a negative light. But uh, people know me. They know my history and my consistency. Uh, but again, the next two weeks will be critical, and that's why we're going to be campaign full throttle uh, all over Chicagoland. And uh, for the record, I should point out that uh, the Vallis campaign has denied uh, the stories uh, about his residency. Uh, and, and let's also talk about your campaign this week. Apropos the uh, kind of uh, negative ads against you, uh, your campaign announced that it's going to honor uh, the company's request to return donations that indicted FTX crypto executive Sam Bankman-Fried made to you. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot is still referring to that. Um, do you believe this issue will or should it fade away now? I don't think there's much of an issue there, uh, Craig. Um, the ads that the uh, mayor is uh, running are false. If you look at my campaign records, I didn't receive uh, any $200,000 from that company, FTX, uh, ever. Uh, so the assertion is totally false, but she pays for them and she's paid almost $700,000 and run those ads seeking to uh, cast me in a negative light. The $2,900 uh, contribution that was made, um, I was the first Democrat in Congress to return uh, that money. Uh, the Congressional Campaign Committee, like others, has been contacted uh, to return the donation to the representations uh, of FTX debtors and the committee, and we'll comply with that. Okay. Uh, before we move on to some specific issues, uh, one other overall campaign thing, that same poll uh, out this week showed 18% of the electorate undecided. This close to election day, that number seems large to me. What do you think is making this such a tough decision for voters? I think people are dealing with, uh, you know, the life uh, pressures uh, of uh, inflation, you know, the high cost of uh, everything from uh, milk to eggs to meat, uh, paying bills, uh, property tax bills. Uh, people got their tax bills recently. I think they're focused on that. I think people are focused on just making uh, ends meet, um, paying their bills. Uh, but now they're paying attention. And I think the series of candidate forums and the campaigning that will transpire over the next two weeks will be critical in that decision. 
And of course, uh, I submit my uh, record as an elected official, as a community leader, as someone who's produced for uh, the people that have entrusted me over 40 years. And I think that that will bode well for me. Now, you more than perhaps anyone else uh, knows how difficult it is to uh, unseat an incumbent, but that poll shows great dissatisfaction with Mayor Lightfoot and her administration. Um, the city has gotten through COVID and it's developed developing underserved areas. So what do you think is the problem with Mayor Lightfoot uh, that even with those things that she points to, people still, and, and, and in that poll, it's a majority, are dissatisfied. Well, I think uh, Chicagoans are feeling uh, unsafe, and they're feeling unsafe uh, like they've not felt in many, many, many years. Uh, the spread of uh, crime, especially things like uh, uh, carjackings and armed robberies, uh, are really shaking people up and making them feel uh, insecure. Uh, the uh, mayor's record on this uh, is one of uh, failure. Uh, her bringing in a superintendent who wasn't familiar with Chicago, uh, who doesn't have the support uh, of rank and file officers, uh, community residents don't have a whole lot of uh, uh, confidence in his uh, leadership as well. Uh, I think has been a major factor in why people uh, don't feel safer. I also think that her combative style displayed uh, time and time again in how she's engaged the city council, how she's engaged other leaders, how he, she's failed to engage um, other sectors of leaders in Chicago are also a part of that unnecessarily combative. It's my way or the highway uh, attitude uh, on issues, uh, and of course, not seeking people out for good counsel, for good advice on how to deal with some of the challenges that she's faced. Look, I had a lot of empathy for the mayor, especially during the uh, pandemic uh, months and the difficulty of uh, being at the helm during that period of time. Uh, and then from that, we saw the uh, civil unrest that unfolded uh, across Chicago a lot of the property damage that ensued as well. And I think all of those things and how they were handled uh, has not voted well for the mayor, but I think it's her combative style, her uncollaborative approach to dealing with issues that is being reflected in those public opinion polls. Now, every candidate except for Lori Lightfoot has vowed to fire Superintendent David Brown. So that's, that's a given, but... Um, Tell me about some of the other cornerstones of your plans to reduce crime. Absolutely. So my plan uh, takes us toward uh, building a, a modern, uh, fully staffed, uh, fully funded data-informed police department that engages in real community policing and constitutional policing, uh, protecting, uh, respecting people's civil rights, and of course, uh, a comprehensive violence interruption uh, uh, initiative. Uh, I have that background in work that I did uh, for 10 years as the leader of a nonprofit organization that excelled in reducing violence, especially gang-related violence in uh, my community. I opened up schools uh, after school hours for students, for parents, and for other youth in the community. Uh, that's the concrete and perspective that I bring to the job 
of, of, of the mayor's office. Uh, I also think that uh, the mayor's office uh, has to play a very important role providing leadership and guidance and why I feel that it's imperative at this time in Chicago's history to have a superintendent uh, who knows Chicago, who understands Chicago, and who truly understands how important it will be to restore trust among community residents and the police. Because if you don't have that trust, citizens are not going to participate in solving crimes. They're not going to bring forth information that is essential in finding people who have committed violent acts, who have hurt other people, uh, who have maimed other people, who, who, who may be involved in either uh, drug dealing or in carjacking uh, rings uh, or other conduct that's become too common in Chicago. Um, how much do you think uh, the new community oversight structure that is going to be in fact also put into uh, into effect in this coming election. Uh, how do you expect that to play into these kinds of uh, ideas and plans that you have? Um, I wanna see the uh, community council representatives elected from the 22 police districts as uh, one more uh, asset, um, uh, people uh, power uh, citizens who can be a connection uh, uh, between public safety and Chicago neighborhoods and communities. I think they can play an instrumental role in uh, bridging the gap in facilitating conversations and in facilitating uh, tough conversations, hard conversations about how we reestablish uh, trust and respect uh, in uh, Chicago neighborhoods, especially among uh, officers and uh, residents. I want to see uh, more police officers uh, get out of their cars, uh, knock on doors, be at community gatherings, uh, given the time to establish those relationships and not simply responding uh, to calls that come in uh, on 911 uh, calls. Uh, that's very important. Uh, one of the elements of my plan is to do away with most of the citywide uh, units, these special uh, task forces, and to deploy them in the neighborhoods. Again, to reestablish that contact, to have conversations, uh, and to let uh, residents know that they're good listeners, that they care about the community, and so that we can stop seeing each other as adversaries. Uh, you know, there used to be uh, days uh, and times when uh, people didn't see the police uh, as adversaries and saw them as uh, public servants, uh, that needs to be restored. And I think officers also want to be seen in a different light, are ready to engage, uh, willing to engage. And I think that a lot of officers in the police department embrace the need for modern 21st century policing. Uh, that means uh, freeing them up from uh, not having to respond to all sorts of calls that can be responded to uh, by other people who are trained in uh, de-escalation, in uh, providing mental health uh, services and uh, counseling, in settling uh, domestic violence disputes, disputes among neighbors that may not require the use of an armed 
uh, police officer. Uh, that's what I'm talking about when I refer to modern 21st century policing, because that is what, uh, you know, what, that that's what weaves uh, the 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 type of trust uh, and respect, mutual respect, both ways that we need in Chicago. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore. My guest is Congressman Jesus Chuy Garcia, candidate for mayor of Chicago. I want to continue a little bit more on the, the crime issue, because if we are to listen to the uh, 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 patrolmen or the uh, police union, uh, they suggest that police reform is being done to the officers and not with them. How do you keep police from feeling like they're the targets of reform versus the participants? Uh, right now, uh, most police officers uh, don't get the opportunity to uh, sit down, uh, have coffee, uh, have a soda, uh, sit on a park bench, uh, you know, stand on a corner and talk with residents. They're always uh, responding uh, to calls on the radio. Uh, we've got to provide the opportunity for them to have those normal conversations. They need to uh, be given uh, that uh, time and that flexibility. We need to get to know each other. You know, we've been through a lot of trauma. Uh, the lockdown during the pandemic was unprecedented. It did something to all of us. I see people who became more aggressive, uh, less respectful, less empathetic. Uh, there's something about it that, you know, a pent up uh, sort of energy in, in a lot of folks. Um, officers were exposed, uh, have been exposed to a lot of trauma given all the violence that we've seen on the streets. There haven't been very many opportunities to just sit down and talk and to ask, how are you feeling? What are you seeing out there? You know, how's the job? Uh, how's the neighborhood? How tough is it? How different is it from the way it used to be many years ago? How can we make it different? Uh, what kind of relationships can we form, you know, with your other neighbors, with uh, the local school, uh, with parents there? Uh, what do we, you know? How do we relate with young people? Uh, let's have some tough conversations between youth and police officers as well, and just set some ground rules. But to be honest, uh, those are the tough conversations that I think need to happen, uh, that can happen, and that the sooner that they happen, the better off we'll be. We cannot continue to see each other as uh, opponents, as adversaries. Uh, and I think that begins with a conversation that you get at the truth, uh, the reality, the perceptions that we have, and why we have those perceptions of each other. And I think that's what 21st century policing can be about. And I think residents would welcome it. And I think police officers will welcome it. And I think all of us will learn more about each other and our humanity. Mm. And But you also need to get more people to want to be police officers and to yes. go through the process. And I think it's fair to say that uh, that the city has been trying to get more people to become police officers. What can be done or what more can be done to attract and keep more 
patrol officers so that you have those people to be on the streets and talking to the citizens? I think that once we get the ball rolling on uh, the modernization uh, of the department, uh, once a new superintendent is in place, uh, makes announcements uh, about uh, new initiatives that will be undertaken, um, responds by announcing that we want to provide uh, better care for officers, whether it's more predictable work schedules so that they can have more quality time with their families, know when they're working, uh, not receive canceled uh, days off uh, whenever their time off is, um, uh, greater access to mental health issues, uh, have conversations about the unprecedented number, unprecedented uh, number of police suicides and what leads uh, to those conditions where officers are taking uh, their lives. I think that's how we get to the humanity of things. I think it's also uh, how you make an appeal uh, to young people uh, who are out there who are hesitant to pursue a career in law enforcement because they know that it can be a pretty thankless job, that police officers may be perceived as occupiers, as people from outside the community that don't care about the community. And I know for a fact that there are many, many great officers and especially young officers who feel differently, old officers as well. Uh, but it's, I think the answer uh, for a change in how things work in Chicago uh, Police Department lies uh, in recruiting new people and in also lifting up the leadership of, of younger officers who have been in the department and who want to get the department to a better place, especially as it relates to police community relationships. But young officers, I think, can be the best ambassadors for why this is an opportunity to be a part of a changing department that is charged with you know, serving and protecting uh, people across Chicago and how you do it effectively in the 21st century by having a more diverse department uh, that reflects the people of Chicago with uh, officers being given the opportunity to shine by showing that they care, by showing uh, their humanity and by showing that they too uh, are part of an effort to improve Chicago. I want to shift gears uh, with the time we have left. Uh, let's talk about business. What's going to keep people and businesses from moving out of downtown Chicago? And yes, crime that we've been talking about for the last you know, 15, 20 minutes uh, is one of the answers, but it's not the only reason why there are so many stores and office buildings that are having vacancy problems. Uh, the, uh, the pandemic uh, impacted uh, the rhythm, um, uh, the 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 rhythm of life in in downtown. Uh, there haven't been as many people uh, coming into work. Uh, change work patterns. Uh, remote work has impacted uh, the life of uh, you know Michigan Avenue, LaSalle Street, uh, other corridor downtown corridors uh, as well, and uh, it's impacting downtown negatively. We have to reimagine uh, what returning to normalcy is going to look like. Uh, it, uh, you know, I would call for uh, business leaders to come together 
and talk about it, uh, how we get people downtown. Uh, you know, it could include an appeal or mandating that certain workers have to come back on more days, uh, or uh, if, you know, they don't, then we may have to talk about readaptation of office space usage and other usages downtown. Uh, it's not only a challenge that we're having, New York is experiencing it as well, uh, LA, but to a lesser degree. Uh, but in Chicago, it's very important. Revitalizing downtown is critical because downtown can generate many resources, uh, income, uh, revenue, uh, other assets that are critical to starting up new uh, business opportunities, new development in communities across Chicago so that downtown Chicago and the neighborhoods are intertwined, interlinked. They depend on each other. And everyone agrees that we need to grow Chicago's population. In order to do that, we've got to both revitalize downtown and invest in neighborhoods, especially those that have suffered the most neglect and disinvestment over many decades, there's an opportunity to do that here and now. I've heard that from many business leaders in the downtown sector in particular. There is a takeaway from the civil unrest that we experienced and a lot of the property damage that experienced in Chicago that we cannot continue to develop the city the way we have because it sows the seeds of discontent, which can lead to the type of uh, violence and property destruction and the loss of lives that we saw before. So I want to marshal that goodwill. I want to implement the takeaways and the lessons that we learned from this uh, really tough experience and get Chicago's economic engines firing again, and also ensuring that investments are made in the neighborhoods to build more affordable housing to ensure that there's access to clinics, to ensure that public transit is clean and safe and reliable for everyone in Chicago. You need it in order to be able to build more housing, to bring retail development, whether it's grocery stores or other shopping amenities to neighborhoods that don't have them today. But this is an opportunity and a clarion call to rebuild Chicago and to do it equitably and inclusively. There's a lot of opportunity to grow our green manufacturing sector in Chicago with the ability to create pipelines for young people graduating from high school and junior college who don't wanna become indebted, don't want a four year education, but can connect to good paying jobs in manufacturing, in the growing tech sector of Chicago. And Chicago has a lot of potential for continuing to do that as well. And that's why I remain very optimistic that with the historic legislation passed by Congress and very happy to have had a hand in producing uh, things like the Infrastructure and Jobs Act, which will create many jobs, help us rebuild our infrastructure, replace leaded pipes, uh, broadband installation across the city to everyone so they can be connected. And finally, the opportunities that will come to install solar panels on people's houses, uh, heat pumps in their basements for antiquated, old, inefficient heating systems in their homes. All of these things will create new job and economic development opportunities. And that's why I remain very uh, optimistic about the future. 
uh, Craig, but key to it is just beginning to make Chicago safer and people becoming more optimistic and being more hopeful and respectful of each other. We've only got about a minute left. Uh, would you would the kinds of projects that we are seeing as part of what Mayor Lightfoot is calling her Invest Southwest initiative, would those kinds of things, those efforts continue in a Garcia administration? I think Invest Southwest uh, gets it right in terms of where the historic disinvestment uh, has been. Uh, it needs to be uh, made more intense. It needs to be more coordinated. Uh, housing development needs to be connected with uh, healthcare clinics. It needs to be connected with retail development as well. It needs to involve stakeholders in those communities. There are many neighborhoods in Chicago that have developed their own neighborhood development plans. I know this, I'm an urban planner trained at the University of Illinois at Chicago, passionate about this. That is the type of development that will help Chicago grow, become healthier, safer, and more thriving. And that's how we can transform our city and create a better Chicago in the 21st century and be able to proud uh, be able to proudly call it a new world class city. And that is an excellent final word in this interview. The time has flown by. <laughs> Thank you very much. That is Congressman Jesus Garcia, a candidate for mayor of Chicago. Thanks for spending the time with us. Uh, to our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That's wbbmnewsradio.com. There's a link on the homepage. You can also find our podcast on odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of that issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, 105.9 WBBM. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 